Hey, don't make me your guilty pleasure. Hit that follow button and make that commitment. You will not be disappointed. And it's free. It doesn't cost nothing to hit that follow. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Scriptural Cliff Note Sessions. Hi, the Scriptural Cliff Note Sessions are available on the following platforms. Anchor, Spotify, and Apple iTunes. Follow us by hitting the follow button and subscribe so that you can hear all this important information that pertains to life and the future. Thanks. Hello, everyone. This is Eve, and um, this is just a short message just to let you know that I will be uploading um, many videos that has to do with um, current events. I already told you that everything is relevant. Everything that I um, upload, every video I upload, every audio I upload that I'm not lecturing or is not a guest lecture is something that has to do with this world in connection to human beings, in connection with prophecy, in connection with um, how we're living and how the world is and how it's pretty much going to end. So um, when you see these videos and you think, okay, well, what does this have to do with that? I already told you. The world sees the top of the flower. I'm trying to get you to see the root of the whole thing. Some people are not going to be able to receive that. So that's why I always ask people to continue to um, search for the most high and be in the most high so that the Ruach can be in you and the Ruach can teach you the truth. A lot of people's not going to receive the truth. They're just not. Um, just like there's some people that say, okay, well, not everything is the devil or not everything is spiritual. Yes, it is. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it isn't. Okay. Um, I'll just say this for those naysayers, your eyes won't believe what your mind can't conceive. Okay. I also want you to keep in mind the movie, The Matrix, and I want you to understand that before there was a physical realm like Earth, there was a spiritual realm. Don't ever forget that. Before there was a physical realm, there was a spiritual realm. So behind everything are spiritual beings. So don't you let nobody come and tell you anything else because they may not be able to receive or understand the spiritual realm. I don't care how esoteric they believe themselves to be. Okay. Cause game recognizes game. Just saying the most high said, try the spirits, all of them. And if they talk in mess and believe that they know this and that really people don't believe it. Do not believe 
So I'm just going to be uploading these videos and, you know, I'm going to be having lessons and uploading lessons in regards to these videos. But even if I don't talk about these individual videos, understand that this is prophecy and how the world is going um, towards the end of the book. Just know that and understand that. And um, receive the messages that you see and be prepared. That's that's what I want you to know. I want you to know and I want you to be prepared because this is happening everywhere in the whole wide world. I'm just uploading stuff that I believe is, well, I'm not even going to say believe. I mean, you, you can see it for yourself. Um, I'm uploading things that um, I'm confident are relevant to all of us because I already told you if something is happening over there, naturally at some point it's going to come to where you are. Okay. One drop of the ocean makes the ocean bigger. I don't care where the drop comes from. Understand that and enjoy the videos. Hello. From time to time, interesting but significant content will be uploaded onto the platform that may be considered controversial to some listeners. However, it has been uploaded for its biblical veracity. Also, not all views of such content are necessarily those of this platform. Thank you. Copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use. If you really want to know what's going on, look at where the billionaires are spending their money. They're concerned that the wheels are going to fall off. You can't get fuel, you can't get electricity, and you can't get grain. If your food depends on a billion dollar lab owned by Bill Gates for you to eat, that's a pretty vulnerable situation. The farther your eating moves away from you, that is your level of dependency on a system that's completely outside of your control. The vulnerabilities of centralized, long supply chain has now been exposed for what it truly is. And we've been fed this lie for a long time. You can't conceive of a more diabolical system if you sat down to design it. Hi folks, Canadian Prepper here. I have a special guest for you guys today. Joel Salton is a renowned sustainable farming author, lecturer and owner of Polyphase Farms. He's the author of numerous books which advocate for an environmentally responsible and ecologically beneficial form of agriculture. He's been hosted on a variety of platforms ranging from TED Talks to Joe Rogan and it's a privilege to have him here today. And today I hope to get Joel's thoughts on the frailty of the global supply chain. We have the UN, the WEF, and the IMF all warning about food security. 
particularly in the developing world and how that might actually impact us here. I also want to talk about what we can do as individuals to initiate an off-grid sustainable lifestyle in light of the excessive government regulation breathing down our necks, of course. And I also uh, wanted to talk about a comment you made recently in one of your blogs. Uh, you had wrote that uh, in the last year or so, I've been contacted by four billionaires asking how to develop an agrarian bunker. And they think that the wheels will fall off and they're looking for a haven for their family. So uh, welcome to the channel. And uh, can you talk a bit more about that experience with the four billionaires who've contacted you about agrarian bunkers? And what sort of advice were you providing to them? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, well, you know, there's, there's an old saying that if, if you want to know uh, what's trending, if you really want to know what's going on, uh, look at where the billionaires are spending their money. And, um, and so I think there's some truth to that. And so, yeah, I've been contacted by these guys. These are not millionaires. These are billionaires. These are people that, you know, own a private jet that could go anywhere in the world. And they're, they're concerned that the wheels are going to fall off. One of them actually asked me, he said, could you please tell me in your, your definition of, of what wheels falling off means? And, uh, uh, so I, I didn't actually have an answer for him immediately. So I went to my team. I said, you know, what? what's the answer? We came up with three things. The three things are you can't get fuel, you can't get electricity, and you can't get grain. So if, if fuel, electricity, and grain go down, uh, you know, you're in you're in pretty big, pretty big uh, trouble. But anyway, um, you know, these guys, they have families and they want to get, they, they, they say we want to get someplace where, okay. first of all, survive survive and it, 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 if we can do better than survive that's even that's even better so um they buy they buy farmland and then of course the problem is finding somebody that can you know manage it and take care of it because they don't want to they don't want to move on to it until they have to um they don't want to do the hard work so, yeah it's a little little bit uh, uh disconnected but but this is this is money uh, an injection of money. I'd rather they spend it here than spend the other crazy places that you can imagine to spend it on. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hold some of this land in private hands. I think that's fine. So you're helping them like decide and you're, they're doing consulting. So you're showing them where they should put certain things, what they should do, how they should set up their homestead, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's any number of things. I mean, most of them, most of them want to get whatever something going. You know, some chickens and and cows and garden and orchard and things going. And so you've got the questions of well, where do you go? And I have opinions about that. I think in general, you you know, you, you want to be where there's water. Uh, you don't want to be in a desert. Ideally, you don't want to be on Hurricane Alley or, you know, on the beach. Uh, I know there's a lot of water on the beach, but but uh, I'm talking about, you know, good potable water. So you kind of, you know, you kind of have a, a, a green strip. And um, in general, you want to be where there are people, but obviously not in the middle of a, of a city, but also not completely out in the boondocks. And so there, uh, the, the farther you get out in the boondocks, the farther you are away from expertise, expertise that you may need to do things that you don't know how to do. I mean, I was uh, I was just recently in South Africa, you know, they're having these rolling, rolling uh, electricity blackouts because the whole grid's going down there. 
And I, I visited with a guy that is just, he's built, he's real handy. And he built a wood wood gasif gasification unit. It's about the size of a wheelbarrow. It's two cylinders. And uh, you can go to any Lowe's or Home Depot, buy a, buy a generator and, um, and run it on wood, you know. And he viewed that as a lot better than solar panels and windmills because you can have as much power as you want whenever you want it. And, uh, you know, you can stockpile wood. Uh, whereas batteries and, and all that and sunshine and wind are all somewhat uh, either expensive, intermittent, or not as much as you need. You know, these folks, I mean, obviously some, some of them, some of them proceed and some of them don't, some of them uh, just blow a bunch of money. <laughs> and fortunately they got plenty of money to blow. The, the fact that some extremely wealthy people are putting attention on this. I mean, most people that aren't billionaires aren't even putting attention on it, as I think telling for for our times. You know, what, if there's one thing we learned with COVID, I think it is that when people, when when uh, wealthy, important, powerful people muse, when they muse about things, you'd better pay attention uh, because their musings kind of give an indication of where they're going. I'm speaking specifically of, for example, the, the fall dry run that the World Economic Forum had in twenty in the fall of 2019. And it's and and they mused, what if what if there was a global pandemic? You know, and, and they did that two-day dry run of what would happen and and what would be the response and and media messaging. I mean they, they just did the whole thing. Well, you know, everybody thought it was silly. Until six months later, we were actually in it, and 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 their musings became exactly our reality. So when you have President Biden Biden saying we're going to have starvation, and we have these people, as you alluded to at the top of the program, uh, you have these kind of musings going on from people in high places. Uh, you know, you need to pay attention to that. Yeah, and now they're musing about that same organization is musing about cyber attacks in a catastrophic global cyber attack, they're calling it. So I'm sure that that is going to have some impact on agriculture and all aspects of critical infrastructure, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So what's happened? What's happened, I think, uh, if another another really critical thing that COVID brought up was that when you have these long, long supply chains, they were built, you know, we, we've offshored, you know, the, the word was offshoring. We need to offshore. In Canada and the U.S., we're, you know, we've become too sophisticated to, you know, to do mundane chores. That needs to be, you know, offshore to China and Pakistan and Vietnam and those places. And what happens when you move all that uh, far away in the name of cheaper labor, uh, you you extend the supply chain, and when you start extending the supply chain, there are a, a lot there's a lot more fragility. There there's a lot more chances of weak links, and so for example, you know when the grocery store shelves went empty in in the spring of 2020, you know due to COVID, that was that was indicative of a non-adaptable. Uh, the, the longer the supply chain is. And the more centralized it is, the bigger it is, the, the bigger the entities, the harder it is to adapt. If you're navigating a, a rocky a rocky shore, uh, you don't want to be in an aircraft carrier. You want to be in a speedboat. And so those great, great big 
uh, businesses that had gotten big on the on the premise of scale equals efficiency suddenly realized that scale equals fragility. And so, for example, you know, on our farm, I don't wake up in the morning wondering, oh, man, I wonder I wonder who's going to sue us today down in uh, quadrant X because we didn't put up enough plexiglass partitions and have a proper quarantine procedure. But these big businesses, that's on their mind every moment of every day. And, and it, 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 it acts like um, like a gum in the works, you know, and it and it grinds them down when Putin invaded Ukraine and fertilizer prices have tripled since our farm doesn't use any fertilizer, any purchased chemical fertilizer. It didn't make a hill of beans to us. You know, we, we, we were laughed at for decades because, oh, you're backward. You make compost instead of chemicals. You know, that's like Neanderthal barbaric farming. And then lo and behold, uh, when the, you know, when the black swan hits, uh, suddenly we're the ones with the freedom and liberty to continue, uh, you know, performing while everybody else is out here, you know, in crisis and, and whining and complaining, being unable to, to work. I mean, several years ago, when, uh, remember when oil spy, oil prices spiked way high and I read a report that said the average farm spends half of their expenses on, uh, on petroleum, on fuel. And I thought, man, that's awfully high. So we did an internal audit here of how much are we spending on fu uh, 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 fuel, and it was only 5% of our expenses. So we suddenly realized, well, good night. Uh, diesel could triple in in cost, and we'd still be okay. Now, we don't like high prices any more than anybody else. Don't don't read any more into that than, than I'm saying. I'm just saying that we realized we'd be the last guy standing. And there's always this kind of fundamental hope that uh, if I'm the last guy standing, hopefully there are smart minds and creative people that have figured out how to how to uh, how for me to not be the only last guy standing. You know, by that time, you hope that there's been some solutions and some some creative innovations to what's going on. So, yeah, the, the vulnerabilities, the vulnerabilities of centralized long supply chain systems, I think, has now been exposed for what it truly is and we've been fed this lie for a long time that you don't have to participate you don't have to know anything about food we'll we'll make microwavable you know microwavable uh heat and eat for you you don't have to worry about planting a garden uh we'll grow all the food for you you don't have to worry about how to butcher a chicken uh we'll you know we'll do all that for you and 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 even uh cook it up to where it's a microwavable heat and eat meal and by letting letting the industry take care of you. Uh, you'll have more time to go to football games and play, you know, play Netflix and video games and you'll have a better life. So here, here we, we were sold this, this thing for a couple of generations that the way to be free is to not participate in the most fundamental aspects of life. And then here we have back, you know, big crises globally. And suddenly those of us who continue to grow gardens and can and cook from scratch and, and butcher animals and milk a cow and cut firewood, you know, the chores of life, those of us who continue to do that, we're the ones that are actually free and enjoying liberty while the rest of everybody is, uh, is, is all uh, discombobulated about being entangled 
in a in a system that uh, we can argue has some nefarious agendas. Yeah, you know, it's kind of scary to think that there's billions of people who are dependent on these long-form supply chains who are going to be uh, completely uh, hopelessly inept if these critical infrastructures that, that hold up our lives were ever compromised. And we're so far removed from the land. Like you say, it gets more and more refined and more and more uh, efficacious as time goes on. But when bad times happen, which of course now we're starting to see things come undone, it's almost like the bigger they are, the harder they fall, as you say. You know, it's one thing if you have this decentralized network of farms and maybe a regional disaster somewhere, so other nodes in the network can kind of make up for that. But it's another thing when everything is centralized and they don't have one part or one, you know, packaging or something like that that's required to distribute it at scale, then uh, of course there's big, big problems. And I think we're going to see that increase as we go further with uh, the decoupling between East and West, which appears to be well underway. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that whole process, like as it's unfolding in uh, Ukraine and Russia and how that's going to impact global agricultural supply chains? Yeah, well, uh, of course, you know, I, I'm not a prophet. I can't see into the future, but uh, but I can tell you that um, that it has it has significantly affected. Certainly, chemical fertilizer prices are are certainly affected. So, what's the alternative? How, how do you how do you get off of chemical fertilizer? And the way you get off of it is move to a carbon economy as opposed to a chemical. Um, you know, a chemical approach. So that means farms uh, who have been dependent on chemicals, you, you can't you can't produce chemical fertilizer on a farm, but you can produce carbon. You know, as long as you've got sunshine and rain and soil, you can produce carbon. And so, I, I think one of the one of the coolest things about the carbon economy and and the soil being uh, uh, rejuvenated on site. Look, here's the deal. The deepest, most productive soils on the planet did not get there because somebody was putting bags of 10, 10, 10 chemical fertilizer on them. So we, so we look back, we look back and say, well, how did these deep fertile soils develop? And they, they developed under perennials that were pumping energy from the sun uh, into biomass in the soil so that it could decompose and that decomposition then feeds the earthworms and the actinomycetes and the mycelium and all the you know soil microbes. Soil microbes don't live on on synthetic chemicals. They live ultimately on decomposing organic matter, which is which is vegetation produced by the sun. So the, the cool thing about uh, self-reliance and 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 a, a democratized food and farming system is that if if I if I can grow grass and I can grow trees on my farm, I can grow soil. I can keep soil fertile in situ. I don't have to be dependent on somebody else out there. the The, the whole idea is for then a farm and and by extension the food system to wean itself off of the dependency on 
chemical fertilizers, which a farmer can't produce, and on uh, long-distance grain that, uh, that again, is coming offshore. Uh, there's We can produce all the grain we need. Certainly Canada can. And the U.S. can there's uh, and and so we for example for our chickens and pigs we buy grain for we buy all that grain right here within you know basically uh, twenty or thirty miles of the farm we've got you know GMO free non you know non genetically modified organism uh, GMO free uh, producers here that we that we purchase from and so we know where they are and you know we're we're turning that that money around um, you know in our own in our own system. One of the, one of the uh, greatest tyrannies right now in the food system that's being, is this idea of lab meat, fake meat. Think about the vulnerability of your food. If your food depends on a billion dollar lab owned by Bill Gates for you to eat, that's a pretty vulnerable situation. But as long as the sun shines and there's rain you can raise a you can raise a cow, a sheep, a goat in the backyard, and 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 you've got sustenance. You can milk the cow. You've got sustenance. Uh, so so to me, one of the single biggest. I mean, there are all sorts of arguments against you know fake meat, from nutrition to environment to whatever. But the single biggest argument is homegrown food. What we what we call authentic food is the ultimate democratized food stream because you can do it around your own house. You can't make impossible burgers and beyond beef at your own house. And so every time we move the food system, every time we move what's what you're eating, the farther you're eating moves away from you or or is is dependent on centralized far-flung places. That is your level of dependency on, on on a system that's completely outside of your control. Yeah, and you're a lot more more vulnerable, like you say. And I mean, the the fertilizers are one thing, but I, as far as I know, there's a lot of other chemicals that go into. I mean, you got insecticides, pesticides, and all those things that we're sure. dependent on, and even the seeds. Uh, that a lot of farmers are buying from big corporations, right? So, yeah, so, so you get op- open pollinated, open pollinated seeds. You can save your seeds and and plant those. And there are now, you know, whole uh, gardening swap groups, you know, that are that are seed exchanges. Uh, so people can, you know, uh, I've got I've got really good cucumbers. So you know, I'll trade you my cucumber seeds for your. Oh, you've got a really cool uh, squash, you know, and and we essentially uh, start saving our seeds so that we have um, climatized climatized uh, 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 vegetables. Um, in our family, uh, my wife's grandmother, her, in fact, her great-grandmother saved uh, a, a certain a tomato, had a tomato, tomato seeds. These tomato seeds are now way over 100 years old. We still save them every year. And uh, and it's the most amazing tomato in the world, but it's been right here in our area for well over a hundred years, saved by family members to preserve this this tomato. And so it becomes more and more and more adapted. You know, all living things create uh, they they have what's called DNA memory, and um, 
And, you know, scientists would call this adaptation, you know, that over time, uh, things adapt. And so, you know, the uh, Scottish Highlander cattle, you know, those those hairy, woolly, uh, woolly cattle. Well, th they were adapted to the highlands of, of Scotland. Uh, you don't want those in, you know, Alabama. Uh, you, you want you want those uh, in a in a cold, harsh area, uh, just like you don't want a, you know, a, a zebu. A zebu from uh, you know from Rwanda. You don't want that in uh, in Alberta, okay? So so uh, you know you've got you've got adaptation, and so as we as we start uh, saving seeds, hatching our own chicks, using you know regional uh, genetics for our, our 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 seed stocks and feedstocks and 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 livestock, um, what happens is over time you develop regionally adapted genetics and they remember when there was a flood when there was a drought how cold it was how warm it was when there was a frost date and so you actually have plants that gradually adapt and climatize to your region and that's a that's another really critical resiliency resiliency point you know going forward yeah, it's, it's always been self-evident to me that the way we're doing mass agriculture right now is destined to end in total disaster because, like you say, it's decentralized. It requires all of these things to soup up uh, the foods and increase the speed and efficiency of production. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because there's the risk that you're going to potentially breed superbugs. Or, you know, like the, the factory farming, like the speed at which a virus could rip through a factory farm uh, because there's so much genetic similarity and we've taken the, the natural laws out of the equation and then <clears throat> all it's going to take is one, you know, one virus or plague or blight to come upon us and because everything is so uh, genetically monotonous and uh, monoculture, monoculture it's going to wipe it out uh, do you have any thoughts on that like on blight and superbugs well and yeah stuff? absolutely i mean we're, we're seeing it right now with the uh, high path avian influenza outbreak uh we're seeing i mean we, we've now killed whatever it is 58 uh, 60 million uh chickens and turkeys in the in the u.s with this latest outbreak and um and you know back in uh, 2015 we killed i think it was 45 million and uh, here's the thing if, if if you and I were some uh, you know diabolical uh, James Bond bad guy and and we wanted to uh, you know we wanted to to create havoc uh, and let, let's say we had this idea to make a a pathogen friendly farm let's let's let, let's make a farm that loves pathogens uh, well what would we do well first of all we'd only raise one thing on that farm. We wouldn't want to confuse pathogens with multiple kinds of hosts. Uh, you only want one thing, so there's always a host for whatever the, the virulent pathogen is. And then we'd cram all that together real tight, as tight as possible. So there's always a host within, you know, uh, jumping distance of a of a microbial, of a pathogen or virus, whatever. And then, of course, we would block out the sunlight. Sunlight's a great, you know, hygiene thing block out the sunlight, confine everything in a building. Uh, and then we, then uh, we're not going to let it uh, get exercised. They're, they're just going to be pinned up real tight and, uh, and not get any fresh air. 
and they're going to breathe in this fecal particulate dust so they can live 24-7 on their toilet, sleep on their toilet, eat on their toilet. (laughs) You know, I can be a, you know, it's a diabolical thing. Well, uh, you know, what have I just described? I've just described, you know, modern Western factory farming. And so you can't conceive of a more uh, diabolical disastrous i mean you use the word disastrous i like that uh system uh you if, if you sat down to design it you know one that would be uh vulnerable to disease to pathogens and viruses and so that's what we've got you know when joel arthur barker wrote the book paradigms in the 70s and kind of brought that brought that term to the world one of his axioms of paradigms was that all paradigms eventually exceed their point of efficiency in other words, you got this new idea, it gets broadly accepted, and then and then instead of stopping at balance, you 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 keep going on, you know. Um and, and so so you know, so we, we figured out how to how to build a house that was big enough to house a hundred chickens. Well, what about two hundred? Well, what about a thousand? Well, how about twenty thousand? How about fifty thousand? Now we have houses that house, you know, a hundred thousand chickens. Uh, in one roof, a- a- as if there's no end to the uh, you know to the biological boundaries. And the fact is, there is an end to biological boundaries. You know, there's a reason why uh, an elephant is the size that an elephant is, and a mouse is the size that a mouse is. A-, a mouse the size of an elephant wouldn't be a very successful mouse, and an elephant the size of a mouse wouldn't be a very successful elephant. So, you know, th- there are reasons why things are the way they are. We need to respect respect why. Uh, why biology has the boundaries that it does. Yeah, we always take things to excess. And uh, like you say, we, we're probably at that point now where we're, we're past the, the critical point with respect to that. And it's, it's only a matter of time before we start to see the system potentially um, collapse. Now, you uh, had mentioned in a previous video uh, with respect to the price of food now the price of food supposedly historically is lower uh, people are spending less of their money proportionally on food than they were say a hundred years ago but you made a very interesting point that i'd hope you'd elaborate on here today about nutrient deficiency in the food and i think i first heard you talk about this actually in the food inc documentary many years ago can you maybe expand a bit upon that? Because I, f- I thought that was fascinating that I think one of the things you had said was that broccoli was seven times less nutrient dense than it was years ago. Right. So what sort of effect is, you know, sure, we have cheaper food perhaps. And right now, food's still at record high prices, even with inflation adjusted. But even if we were to accept that idea that food is cheaper than it was 100 years ago, what is the what are the externalized costs associated with that? Yeah, well, that's uh, a great it's a great point. Um, the The fact is that that even with the high food prices, we're still paying less per capita than we did long time ago. Uh, you know, back in back in uh, the 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 fifties, uh, you know, people were spending roughly eighteen percent, and and this is in you know, like the U.S. and Canada, we're spending roughly 18% of their income on food. Today, it's 9%. So, 
So it's so the per capita expenditure on food, uh, you know, compared to rent and gas and mortgage and lumber and things is is half what it was back then. Also in 1950, 1960, uh, people were only paying nine percent on health care. Today, we're paying 18 percent on health care and 9% on food. So those two numbers have literally inverted. The food and the healthcare have inverted. 18 and 9, but you know, both both ways. Uh and, and so what's happened is that yeah, we've got we've got uh very cheap food, but how nutritious is it? And so there've been countless studies now comparing vegetables, uh fruits to what we had back in the 30s and 40s and all of them have declined many of them precipitously. The uh, the Bionutrient Food Association um, is an organization devoted to, to trying to document the differences in foods. And so they, they finally have a, um, a, a, a spectrophotometer uh, where they can measure different nutrients. And uh, the first one that they tested was carrots. And they found that um, that if you take the the best carrot compared to the worst carrot, um, you have to eat something like a hundred of the worst carrots to get the same nutrition as what was in the best carrot. They're they're that far different. Um, we had our eggs te- tested, and um, the USDA says that uh, eggs have forty eight micrograms of folic acid. Our eggs have one thousand thirty eight micrograms of folic acid. You know, uh, a, a grass finished beef has 300% more riboflavin than grain finished beef. Uh, conjugated linoleic acid uh, is is in is in pastured uh, beef compared to not. Uh, there, there's all sorts of uh, empirical tests now showing a the not only the degradation, the overall degradation of our of the nutrition in our food, b the fact that people are are buying more junk food is highly processed. Uh, I remember a, a science fair experiment where a, a kid took, um, I don't know whether it was Wheaties or Cheerios, one of the big name brand cereals, and fed rats the cereal. And over here, he took the raw ingredients that were on the label, what, what, what goes into the cereal, fed that to rats. The rats fed the cereal were, were weak and sickly, and the rats fed the raw ingredients that went into the cereal were robust and healthy. And so so processing itself uh, degrades the nutrition substantially. Uh, and so so you have a you have you have you know basic basic nutritional de- uh, degradation, and then you have junk food. and then C, you have uh, you, you have today um, producers, like us and like others who are going back to pasture, back to, you know, back to heritage, you know, uh, heritage, literally antiquity platforms. And we're seeing these major, major differences in nutritional density in our, in our foods. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not hopeless, but you're not going to find that kind of density in the grocery store. You're gonna you're gonna have to build alliances and relationships with your food sources outside of the supermarket. 
like know your farmer, know your food, turn off your Netflix, go looking for your farmer, uh, you know, build, build direct, direct chains of contact so that, um, you know, so that you have a, a, a direct relationship with your, with your sustenance. That's kind of ironic that if the whole system collapsed, we'd be forced to eat healthier and not starve. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's, uh, that's actually true. And, and around the world, in fact, in a lot of uh, developing countries in Africa, South America, actually, you know, a lot of the food is more nutrient dense than ours because it's not just growing, growing bulk. I mean, take Peru, Peru. Um, in, in Peru, you know, that's where potatoes, potatoes came from. And they make a point there of, of um, selecting all different kinds of potatoes, not just the ones that grow the best, because they recognize that just bigger by itself is not always the best. I mean, growth is not always the best. Cancer is a growth. So just because something grows fast and big doesn't mean it's better. And, and so they, they actually have a tradition of kind of uh, what closing their eyes and, and kind of selecting their seed potatoes uh, at random. Uh, that randomness then preserving genetic material that they wouldn't, they wouldn't preserve otherwise. Yeah, you know, I go to the grocery store and I see these these strawberries that are like the size of my palm. And I'm asking yeah. myself, yeah. you know, it, it's like somebody blew this thing up or just filled it with water, but the, the actual nutrient content is the same should that natural strawberry had occurred in the wilderness in its more dense form. You know, it's just incredible how we've, uh, and of course you get charged for that, right? Cause you get getting charged by weight. So you're getting bigger, and but you're you're getting less actual nutrition on a cellular level. Yeah, well, and not only that, but especially on things like like um, that that are real tender, like let's say tomatoes. Uh, we've we've been choosing cultivars now for decades that aren't more nutritious, more tasty, or anything. It's all about storability and shipability. You know how much bounce, how much bouncing can they take in the back of a truck? Uh, how 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 long can they store? A and when you start selecting genetics for shipability and storability, you're going to gradually select things that are like cardboard, a and that's why you know the difference between a, a homegrown, garden-grown tomato and one that you get in the store is like the difference. I mean, it, there's no comparison, and so you know that that's the same thing that we've even, we've we've actually had a direct industrial institutional uh, strategy for selecting genetics and cultivars for everything except nutrition. It's it's really scary to think that this artificial selection that we've embarked upon is not going to be resilient in times of disaster. And it makes me think about Svalbard Seabolt. You know, there's obvi an obvious reduction in biodiversity as a result of uh, mass agriculture. Part of me wonders if these seed vaults, you know, if they're, I mean, I understand they're for preserving biodiversity, but, and not to get too conspiratorial, but do you think there's, <laughs> do you think there's some agenda there to, you know, ensure that they have the 
the genetic code uh, once this whole thing gets wiped out? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that. Not to be conspiratorial. Uh, you know, b- believe me, um, you know, if, if, if the wheels fall off, uh, there will be powerful interests that will that will have an interest in who gets who gets what, and that's why it's so important to have your own, you know, uh, uh, your own network, your own neighbors, your own uh, at your own house. Uh, not only to store food and 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 canned goods and freezer dried or whatever, but uh, so even if the power goes off, you still have food. Um, uh, but but then to also actually develop a, a network, uh, hopefully you know geographically proximate of of friends and things that that uh, that you can you know cobble together some peppers and tomatoes and uh, cucumbers and squash and things you know if if things uh, if things go go crazy. When these powerful people muse about things it probably means that something's coming on. It certainly seems like there's a stage being set for further discombobulation and and dysfunction. The best way to support this channel is to support yourself by gearing up at CanadianPreparedness.com, where you'll find high-quality survival gear at the best prices, no junk, and no gimmicks. Use discount code PREPPINGGEAR for 10% off. Don't forget, the strong survive, but the prepared thrive. Stay safe. Hi. Trying to contact me regarding a question, comment, or concern? Well, you got two ways of doing so. The first way is you can email me at cliffnoteqna at yahoo.com. I'll say it again. This is one word. Cliffnote, the letter Q, the letter N, the letter A, at yahoo.com. The second way is you can upload a question, concern, or comment on Spotify. The question section appears under the episode's description on Spotify. Send me your question and I'll definitely answer it. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. to hear the word of truth from the Most High. But you know what's better? Hitting that follow button and hitting the small bell next to it to be notified of new content. You can also save a life by sharing this valuable content. Go ahead, save a life today. Thanks.